Well, good evening. We're in Jeremiah chapter 11 tonight. When we open up the book of Jeremiah, just start reading, he's, you know, he hears the call of the Lord and says, Lord, I can't speak, I'm just a youth. And so uh, Bible scholars, interpreters put his age when he first comes onto the scene as the Lord's called voice to the, to the nation, his prophet. Um, he might be 16, 17, something like that, pretty young. And then, you know, there's obviously a chronology to Jeremiah, but there's also some passages of Jeremiah that are kind of hard to drop and find their, their, their time of when they are because they're uh, kind of parenthetical. We finished chapters 7 through 10. Um, that seems like that came out of a time later than chapters 1 through 6, which was his first uh, word. Chapter 7 through 10 was given to him. Uh, to speak right at the temple. Okay, now here's something new, chapter 11. And, and Bible scholars tend to back this up a bit in time from chapters 7 through 10. And so he's much younger. Um, he's maybe, you know, in his 20s or something. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, And say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do all according, and do according to all that I command you, so you shall be my people, and I will be your God, that I may establish the oath which I swore to your fathers which I have sworn to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it, Lord. So he's got another, I got another word to say. And um, he's basically calling them back to remember the covenant that they're in with him, the Mosaic covenant uh, there. Um, You know, covenant is just a contract that the Lord has issued between his people uh, uh, or any any group of people he chooses to establish a covenant with, and it describes the ways in which he, uh, they will interact, and uh, so everybody could know what's what gives right. Okay, so I'm in a relationship with God. How how does that work? Well, the covenants tell us that, and there's lots of covenants in the scriptures. Right? You could probably name if you studied the Bible with us for any period of time. You could probably think of four or five covenants right off the bat. You could probably come up with, uh, of course, the Mosaic Covenant, which we're talking about here, um, the Abrahamic Covenant, right, uh, to the land, and then the Davidic Covenant, that uh, David would have the Messiah and the throne, and you could probably go back and think of Noah and the Noahic Covenant. Um, so, you know, there's lots of covenants, and then you can think of also the New Covenant that we're in, right? Um, don't get confused, though, um, by what is called covenant theology. There is a way of interpreting the scriptures that we disagree with. It's called covenant theology. And just because they use the word covenant and there are covenants in the scriptures doesn't mean that we agree with that interpretation. They basically take and interpret the whole in scriptures, everything that's going on by the view of that there's only one covenant in the scriptures and... um, they have to allegorize a lot of things. They have to uh, spiritualize a lot of things that are said there. Um, you probably will see um, 
signs for churches that are called covenants, such and such a church. Um, that's probably a church that falls under that or has agreed to that type of interpretation, a covenant theology. They believe that Jesus died for you know, the sins of the world, and they, and they, they hold to the essential Christian things that you know, they're saved, but then they, um, they may diverge after that into some things that you probably wouldn't understand or agree with uh, as they stretch kind of the idea of a covenant too far across all of scriptures and then end up having to allegorize a lot of things. Uh, but there are covenants. Uh, this covenant is the Mosaic Covenant um, because when he, when he commanded our fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, caught them, brought them out of the iron furnace, Egypt, saying, Obey my voice, do all that I command you, so you should be my people and I will be your God. So that covenant was, was based on just exactly what he's saying, you obey me, and then I will bless you. And that was the covenant established in the Mosaic laws, right? Um, and it's based on man's faithfulness. We, uh, if they kept, his, kept everything that was written there, then they would know his blessing. So it's based on man's faithfulness. Um, that's not the covenant we're under. Uh, we find our way into the blessings of Abraham's covenant through the new covenant, right? A uh, big fat loophole that he writes in there uh, and says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not based on our faithfulness. It's based on his faithfulness. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what he's already done. They had standing before him if they obeyed. We have a standing before him because Jesus obeyed and because we believe that he died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead on the third day, called upon to believe that gospel, those set of facts. God says, okay, I will give you the standing before me you need and I will forgive all your sins. And so uh, uh, we don't have that kind of conditional covenant. Um, that was the new covenant that's going to be talked about by Jeremiah later. So um, he basically has given this message, go and talk to them. Again, it's obey my voice. Um, you know, that's not all that different from what we're called to do, is it? We are called to obey also. Remember, you go to um, Ephesians, right? We were children of disobedience. So then, now that we're saved, we should be doing something different, right? I mean, we should be then looking to obey him. But again, their standing before him was based on their obedience. We have already been given that standing. And so we obey from the standpoint of response of love to what he's already done for us. But we are called to obey. And the ways in which we don't obey, in which we fall flat, and we all fall flat, we all fail, right? The, the scripture says all I've fallen short. It's all, actually all are continuously falling short. That falling short has already been covered and taken over and taken by Jesus on the cross, so that our standing before Him isn't in jeopardy because we try and fail, right? So there you go. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, so chapter six, excuse, uh, verse six, chapter eleven. Then the Lord said to me. Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. 
For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. So uh, I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up until now. That's a long time. It's been hundreds of years that the Lord has been trying to draw them, talk to them about their obedience and their turning away from him. Rising up early and exhorting. Yet they did not obey nor incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his, of his evil heart. And that ought not to seem all that odd to you, right? That's what got you in trouble. That's what got us in trouble, the dictates of our own evil hearts. And so we came to the end of that. Therefore, I will, and we're continuously coming to the further, further to the end of that, right? Um, Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. Verse 9, And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. So again, this is the basic message that Jeremiah is sent to proclaim. They could hear it if they wanted to, but they don't want to. Verse 11, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will surely bring a calamity on them, and they will not be able to escape. Though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. That's kind of a scary place to be, isn't it? Think about it. You know, it comes after a long period of refusing to hear um, that the Lord would would not listen to you at that point. Um, again, they have been uh, seeing the Lord reaching out to them for a very long time, and they continuously play games with it and ignore it and won't listen. So as they inch closer and closer towards calamity that their sin is leading them to, the Lord is saying, look, you're getting to a point where I'm just not going to be able to do anything for you. And uh, in fact, you're going to call to me at that time, and, and I'm just not going, to, I'm not going to do anything at that point because it will be fruitless for me to do anything because you, you need to listen now. Um. I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods whom they offer, to whom they offer incense. But they, the, the false gods, the fake gods, they, they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. For according to the number of your cities were your gods, O Judah. Again, uh, at that time, um, they had slipped into the uh, you know, they had been slowly adopting the ways of the nations around them. And, of course, the, the nations around them saw spiritual things from the standpoint of uh, territories and geography. And so there was, a, there was a god of this country and a god of that country. And there's a god of the ocean and that part of the ocean. And there's a god of the hills and a god of the valleys. And so, uh, you know, there's eventually a god of every city. And um, so uh, Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, reflecting that corruption. 
According to the number of streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. So at at, at at each street, they've got a new incense altar to Baal. Um, so do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Um, you know, the Lord doesn't want to have that kind of relationship with his people where we only come to him when things fall apart. Um, he wants to have a much fuller relationship with us, um, and he wants to lead us and guide us in everything. Um, but... Um, if we only come to him when things fall apart, then, you know, in those moments of crisis, you got to go looking for the Lord. And you got big question marks. Is he going to hear me? Is he going to listen to me? Uh, where is he? What do I have to do to get right with him? And in the middle of a crisis, that's a terrible time to try to figure that out when things are in free fall. Uh, how much better is it to come to the Lord ahead of time and find him to be gracious and kind and forgiving and uh, wide open to our cries for help. Even, even though we don't need, you know, it doesn't look like from society's standpoint, we need that much help. You know, oh, your, your religion is a crutch. No, it's much more than that. It's a whole hospital. Um, and uh, um, so, you know, it, the Lord will, will let us come to him in those times of crisis. But how much unnecessary, you know, turmoil there is if we wait until that time. So look for the Lord now. Uh, what has my, verse 15 and 16, he, he uses the imagery of him being married to Israel, to the, to the nations of Israel there, Israel and Judah. What has my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh has passed from you? Again, uh, you know, the imagery is... is uh, God is married to uh, his people there in Israel, and um, they've been an unfaithful spouse. They've gone out in every opportunity they could find. They've been unfaithful to him. And finally, you know, the Lord just says, I've, I've had enough. Why, why do you even bother to come home? You know, don't, don't even, quit playing the game. You're not, you know, why do you even see yourself as married to me? I've had enough, basically, is what he says. When you do evil, then you rejoice. Um, that's a sad commentary, isn't it? Um, you know, what do... Well, you know, he, he injects these... these uh, Jeremiah has, is full of these, these small little injections of an inner life gone so poor, so badly. And, uh, you know, we can have a chance to hold those up against our own inner life. What makes us rejoice? And what causes us to, to be repulsed? And uh, this, this is a good one to hold up. When you do evil, then you rejoice. Um, you know, we're f- awash in a culture that rejoices in evil. And you don't got to turn the TV on and watch it very long before, uh, you know, they're handing over to you some sort of entertainment that's evil. And... Um, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to be entertained by um, that kind of violence and that kind of sin. I don't want to be amused by it. I don't want to have my kid see me amused by it. 
Because I want, you know, I want him to have a sensitive heart towards what is right and wrong and be led by the Lord. And if our kids see us entertained by garbage, then they're going to find it acceptable, right? Um, we're not doing those things, but we're, you know, like the scripture says, we approve of those who do. We approve of those who do by we continue to watch instead of being repulsed by and go, no, I'm not going to find that amusing. When you do evil, then you rejoice. The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. That's what they were. And that's what he named you. Uh, he's talking to his, his people there in Israel. But what, now look at the contrast here. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled a fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts, who planted you, has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves, to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. Isn't that an interesting commentary? Um, the evil which they have done against themselves. Isn't that the truth? When we get into sin, you know, that's, it, sin is, there's, there's pleasure in sin for a season, you know that. But in the end, it gives, it gives us over to slavery and uh, death and destruction. And we're doing it to ourselves. And that's the sad commentary, you know, on so many lives. And um, uh, the Lord is saying here, boy, you have just done it to yourselves. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know what they had devised. I didn't know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. So in, uh, as, as Jeremiah is again preaching this message uh, to return to the Lord, um, there is a covert operation going on to have him killed, right? They have people who don't want to hear it. And, but the Lord makes him, gives him knowledge of it. We don't know how, but he does. And he says, I was just an innocent lamb. I, I, don't, I didn't know anything about this. And um, so verse 20, Now, but, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have revealed my cause. Um, you know, I like this. He, he doesn't hire a lawyer. It's not that hiring a lawyer is wrong or anything like that. But uh, look, he just commits it over to the Lord. He says, Lord, you are my defense. You take this up for me. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life. Okay, now that ought to strike you as something. Because remember, Jeremiah is from Anathoth. Uh, this is his own hometown that's plotting against him. But more than that, Anathoth is a city of priests. And so here's a city of priests. They're putting a hit out on someone who's calling them to repentance. That's not a very spiritual thing to do. You can't do that. You can't put a hit out on somebody. <laughs> They seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. 
and there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. Now that's a, that's a ways in the future, but it is going to happen. Chapter 12, so righteous are you, O Lord. Jeremiah is now talking to the Lord. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from the mind, from their mind. Okay, this is um, Jeremiah looking around and seeing um, evil people prosper, and it seems like they're just doing okay. And it's a common problem that God's people have uh, asked and asked the Lord about in Scripture over and over again. You can go back to, uh, you know, the Psalm, Psalm 73, uh, Asaph, and, you know, um, where, where he says, I almost stumbled. And, oh, why, you know, why are the prosperous, why are the, why are the evil so prosperous? And then um, uh, lots of people in Scriptures deal with this. Um, and, uh, you know, I think every generation of believers ends up having to ask that question. Everybody, I think, who goes forward in the Lord uh, eventually comes across this and recognizes, um, you know, that it's, it's, not, it's not fair. The world ain't fair. And, and here I am walking with the Lord, trying my best. I'm denying myself. I'm putting away sin. And boy, I just take three steps forward and two steps back in, in everything I do. And yet, here's these other people that, um, you know, they have no scruples, no compunction about anything. They cheat, lie, steal, they're immoral, in, and they win the lottery too. And, uh, you know, I, I, and it just, you just shake your head and you go, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, the enemy loves to, um, to bring bad interpretations of those things and uh, wants us to, when it catches saints, you know, contemplating those things in times of weakness, um, love to suggest bad interpretations uh, and begin to assassinate God's character. And that's why I think it's spoken of so much about in Scripture, because people do get stumbled by that kind of stuff, um, that it seems like everybody else gets away with it except me. And, um, you know, that's, that's actually a good place to be in, the Scripture says, to be under the watchful care of the Lord so that we don't get away with anything because he doesn't want us to to get dragged and and dragged away in sin and uh, he won't let his children get away with with sin and the scripture says count it all joy when you fall into trials or don't despise the day of his chastisement because uh, whom he loves he chastises corrects and so, um, you know, the conclusion really was drawn to uh, um, in Psalm 73 when uh, the guy goes, when, when the writer Asaph says, uh, you know, I, really, I was just choking on this until I went in and got a spiritual perspective. And I recognized they are in a terribly dangerous situation. And he was grateful he never even opened his mouth after that. So here's Jeremiah asking the same, wrestling with the same questions. Verse 3, But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. 
You have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there. Because they said, he will not see our final end. Um, in other words, they are getting away with it all and it's, they're just making a mess of everything. And, and their statement is, you know, Jeremiah, you're not even going to see what's going to happen. We're going to whack you and you're going to be gone. So, you know, just keep your mouth shut. And so now uh, the Lord's going to answer. And it's a surprising answer. Uh, verse 5, it says, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if the, in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the flood floodplain of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. Um, you know, this isn't the answer that Jeremiah was expecting. Um, and in some ways, we need to, to chew on this answer also. And um, the idea is, this is nothing right now. This is nothing. Um, if this stumbles you, wow, what are you going to do when it gets really bad? Um, you know, the, the imagery of... Uh, you know, you're just you're just running around the foot soldiers, and and wait till they bring out the heavy artillery, and they come after you that way. Um, how can you contend with horses? So uh, he says, even your family is going to turn on you. Um, you know, there there are those testimonies of um, in the body where people have lost a family because of coming to the Lord. It's pretty rare, but it does happen in America. But there are places in the world where this is, this is everyday life. You come to the Lord and you lose everything. You lose your family. You lose beloved parents. They turn their back on you. You are seen as someone who is dead and you're written out of the family. Um, this, isn't, this isn't the reality for us uh, so much now, but it doesn't mean it can't go there. Um, I think I think in a lot of ways we are seeing it creep towards that. I think it's in some ways inevitable, especially as you know more and more um, more and more iniquity is given civil rights status. Um, that just that just builds their case to be able to pursue um, the diminishing and the reviling and the criminalizing of those who speak against what is now a civil right. So. You know, to say that it's gonna—we're never gonna know that stuff. I think is—I um, think is—you know—we're we're living a pipe dream there. It gets coming in a lot of ways. So Jeremiah's answer was uh, the answer to Jeremiah was: um, we need to build some calluses here. Uh, we need to—we need to toughen up a little bit. Um, this is just the beginning. Um, verse 7, I have forsaken my house, I have left my heritage, this is God speaking, I have forsaken my house, which would be the temple, I have left my heritage, I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Um, you know, I, I'm struck by the, by the contrast there in that verse, the dearly beloved of my soul. He does not want to deal with his people that way. Um, 
you know, through the hardness of their own hearts and their unwillingness to listen to him and to turn, uh, he had to deposit them with the enemies for the destruction of their flesh, right? My heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. It cries out against me. You know, walking through the forest, you hear those scary noises. Okay. Uh, therefore, I have hated it. My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vultures all around are against her. Come, assemble all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour. Many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate. Desolated mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. Again, there's another injection there of um, an inner life problem. No one takes it to heart. Um, The plunderers have come on all the desolate heights in the wilderness, for the sword of the Lord shall devour from one one end of the land to the other end of the land. No flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat, but reaped thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but not to profit. But do not profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Um, you know, there's some, there's, he sets some things to think before for them to think about, and they're just not. He's saying, you know, all your material uh, strivings are bringing you nothing. And um, some of the other prophets speak about that, um, um, talk about how they would uh, plant their crops and they wouldn't see the abundance that they should, um, and they're just not making. They're just not making it. And he he calls them to consider that and to think clearly about that. Verse fourteen. Thus says the Lord against all my evil neighbors who touch the inheritance. Inheritance which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. In other words, Israel is his inheritance, the land, the, his people are there, but that's surrounded by neighbors, uh, but he calls them evil neighbors, and they're coming in to, um, because as he gives them the ability and the power to come in and, and uh, subject Israel to pain and suffering, he says, Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out the house of Judah from among them. So, again, the, the word is he's, he's going to take Israel out. He's going to use the evil neighbors, but eventually he's going to take his people out of those evil neighbors. Then it shall be, after I have plucked them out, that I will return and have compassion on them. This is the return from the Babylonian captivity. And bring them back, everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land. And it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by name, my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. There's an invitation, isn't that? Isn't that a wide open invitation to uh, the, the neighbors, the Gentile nations? If they will learn carefully the ways of my people as they should be, right? to swear by my name, the same way that you taught my people to swear by Baal, you should learn to swear by my name. And if you do that, and you begin to live that way as my people, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. 
But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. Chapter 13. Thus says the Lord to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord, and put it around my waist. And so here's the fashion show. There's Jeremiah wearing the latest in uh, fashion wear. Uh, he's got himself, a, you know, just a nice little sash. He's walking around. Being a prophet, he would get some attention. And they'd look at him. He's got this new accessory, fashion accessory. They're not thinking too much about it, but he's got it on. So the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, you know, and this isn't very weird as far as prophets go. You want to talk about weird stuff. When we get to Ezekiel, he did some weird stuff. Um, Verse 4 says, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and rise. Go to the Euphrates. Um, Um... now, okay, this is a debate whether it's not the Euphrates River or it's a town not far from Anathoth called Euphrates. Either one, you know, the, the idea is in the name of the Euphrates because um, Babylon beyond the Euphrates um, is, is where he's going to deposit his people for their uh, 70 years of captivity. So... There you go. Um, Arise, go to the Euphrates or Euphrates, whichever one, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. So he takes his new fashion accessory, beautiful sash he's got. He goes, digs a hole in the rock, plants it there. He doesn't know what else to do. Verse 6, then it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates And take from there the sash which I commanded you to hide there. So now he's got to go back and get that out of the ground, you know, wherever he put it in that place. Um, Verse 7, so I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash, ruined. It was profitable for nothing. You can see, you know, how for many days. I mean, did he go through a whole year, you know, maybe something like that? We don't know. Uh, but he's been buried long enough for it to be ruined. Maybe it's moldy, you know. The varmints have been chewing on it. A mouse house in there somewhere. Um, you know, it's just it's horrible looking. Probably smells. Ugh. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, um, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, and the hearing of his words is central to the message, isn't it? And essential to the message of the whole Bible, uh, to hear God's word and to, to yield to it. They will not hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory, but they would not hear. Again, Israel 
set in the midst of the nations, the crossroads of the nations, uh, given a, a choice land in the world to be God's missions organization right there. They were to, to uh, live a life glorifying to the Lord. Um, and in the midst of all the, the nations coming and going, trading from this nation and that nation around the, the eastern Mediterranean, it would be impossible to not travel through Israel and see the hand of the Lord blessing people, um, forgiving people, uh, calling them to a living relationship with him and seeing the, the wonderfulness and the freedom and the forgiveness and the redemption that's in that and his presence. It's the way it was supposed to be. It's the way he had, to, he had called them to what he had called them to be. But they learned the ways of, their, uh, of the pagan nations around them. And um, again, they, he were there, they were to be his people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. So it's the symbol of the linen sash. He's got another symbol now, uh, verse 12, the wine bottles, therefore, or the wine skins. Uh, that linen sash, if you have the King James, you probably have the girdle. Okay, don't be stumbled by that. It's a sash. All right. Therefore, you shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, and here's, here's the message Jeremiah is supposed to proclaim and then uh, to the nation of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. Okay. So they would hear that, and their response would be, and they will say to you, well, duh, yeah, of course. Do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? And the message is going to be, that's not what I mean. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness, and I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but I will destroy them uh, in their decline and their depravity. Um, he says, uh, imagine if everybody was drunk. What a mess this would be. Uh, the collapse of any social order. Um, just the, you know, you know, you know I, used to, I, I did some work with the police department. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise that a lot of uh, nighttime violence, um, you know, domestic violence, fights, things like that go hand in hand with alcohol. And um, so um, he says the social disorder that's going to come from uh, your decline is going to be so bad, he's saying, it's going to be like everybody is drunk and it's just going to be nothing but a mess. And um, he's given them a picture of this. So verse 15 goes with this. He says, hear and give here. And those are two different things. Hearing and giving ear. Hearing, you can, you know, is, is aimed at actually listening, hearing it, have somebody proclaim it to you, but giving ear is more like yielding, you know, thinking about what is said and accepting it, you know, giving way towards it, what it is said. Uh, here's the word give, hear, hear and give ear. 
Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. And, and you can camp out right there. There's, there's, a, there's a good sermon for you right there. Um, the Lord has spoken. You know, some, some people say, you know, there's only really one issue in life. There are two issues. Has God spoken? And if he has, what has he said? Um, you know, the New Testament says that God has spoken to us in various ways, but in the last of these days has spoken to us by his son. It's like Jesus is the last word, and he's the most clear word, but he's also the ultimatum, isn't it? And... Um, So he says, the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God. And, you know, do not be proud, but give ear. How do you give glory to the Lord? You listen to what he's saying. You stop. We stop with our pride. um, The exaltation of ourselves in our own life. And instead, put the Lord there and yield to him. Give glory to the Lord your God and accept what he says, right? Blessed are the meek. And the meek are, are willing to listen. Listen to God's word and go, go meekly towards God's word and realize I need to be instructed. I don't need to say anything. I need to hear. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness... And before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, uh, I think that King James says, on the mountains of twilight. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes a dense darkness. Okay, there's, there's some imagery there that would be particular to them um, if they were uh, shepherds or moving um, out of, uh, moving either their flocks or... Um, you know, traveling from east to west out of, um, you know, Moab and east of the Jordan, you know, coming through the Jordan Valley and going up the mountains. Well, the, you know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So as they would come up at the end of the day into the mountains of Jerusalem, um, you know, the mountains that are facing east and those valleys that are facing east would get the, would um, would get darkest soonest. And so... As you were coming up towards Jerusalem to be getting darker and darker as the sun went down. But behind you, you can catch some reflection off the eastern side of that, um, that valley, that rift, the Jordan Valley. And um, that's the image you'd probably go with them. Um, but, uh, you know, here, here's the idea, is that um, the Lord's giving you light now. You may not have enough light if you continuously reject this light. If you, if you get farther and farther into darkness, you may not be able to find light anymore. Look, uh, the Lord is gracious and kind, and he, he, he wants all to be saved, but um, that doesn't mean he has to, uh, or there aren't consequences to your rejection of or anybody's rejection of the light he's giving now. Um, you know, as, as every, t- every time somebody turns away from the gospel and turns away from the light, the heart gets harder. And um, the idea is here, 
you have enough light to see what needs to be done. If you reject this light, it's going to be harder as you get deeper into darkness. The Lord doesn't have any, any obligations to hold the light at this level. But as you go farther into darkness, it's, it's just exactly it. It's going to be harder and harder to find your way. If you will not hear it, verse 17, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Um, the Lord desires everybody to be saved. Um, repentance is available now. Take advantage of it while the Lord is giving you the light to repent. Now, verse 18 um, and 19, and down through, um, I think, the end of the chapter, verse 13, um, excuse me, chapter 13 through the end of chapter, this is a section that um, we can date with some uh, accuracy because it says to the king and the queen mother. Okay, well, if we go to 2 Kings 24, this is much later uh, during a time when Nebuchadnezzar has already um, come in and besieged Jerusalem once and taken people captive, but the city has not been destroyed. And um, uh, Jehoiachin is the vassal king in there, and his mother is kind of co-regent with him. And you can find that Second Kings 24. So this is easy to, to, to lay down in, in the chronology of Israel's history, or Judah's history. Say to the king and to the queen mother, write to them this message to those two. Humble yourselves. Sit down, for your rule will collapse the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be wholly carried away captive. So lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pangs seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? Well, here's the answer. For the greatness of your iniquity... Your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots, its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So here's the word to the king and the queen mother. Um, They are in grave danger. Um, They... um, need to hear a word from the Lord to turn. Verse 24, Therefore I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Therefore I will uncover your skirts over your face that your shame may appear. I have seen your adulteries and your lustful nays the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills, in the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem, will you still not be made clean? 
Um, so, again, the call of the Lord to um, you know individuals, the queen and the queen mother, the the king, um, but to all of Jerusalem. You know, um, the Lord um, expects us to respond to His word and holds everybody accountable to his word and um, um, they were accountable and they did not listen and they ended up going off into places they did not want to go because they refused to listen and uh, uh, you know we're called upon to follow the Lord and to have soft hearts towards him and to be quick to respond to the leadings of his spirit that's how I want it to be right um, you know, I got kind of an unspoken sort of rule with the Lord. Lord, just go ahead and do whatever it takes to turn me. I don't ever want to get into that place where you have to use brute force to turn me. I don't want to ever be there with you. Uh, I want to be in the place where I'm sensitive to the leading of your spirit. And, um, you know, we're supposed to be led by his peace, right? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so anything that would take away that peace... Um, make me very sensitive to the to the presence and the value of that peace. Um, and when that peace is is shaken, when that's in jeopardy, boy, Lord, I don't ever ever want to be slow to respond to that. I want to be quick to say, Lord, what is this? What what's going on here? Please instruct me. You know, like David said, um, search me, know me, try my heart, see if there's any evil evil way within me, and lead me in the way everlasting the righteous way. Let's finish there. End of chapter 13. We'll stand and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we do want to be led by you uh, with sensitive hearts toward your spirit uh, daily and moment by moment, Lord. Um, help us to be those people that glorify you right where you have us. We know that you want to work in our midst to the, those who don't know you. And uh, so fill us with your spirit. And wake us, you know, like you said, morning by morning, uh, rising early and exhorting us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, give us uh, the, the filling of your spirit for these things. We love you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen.